Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This episode is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, an audit analytics service provider that works with internal audit departments that have data analysts and are still frustrated with trying to make analytics actually work, aren't getting the expected ROI, who can't break through the communication barrier between the analysts and the audit team, and those that need experienced direction for an audit analytics strategy and process. Those that feel like they've wasted time and money on trainings, aren't getting the value they want, not prioritizing the highest risk areas for the organizations, or have projects that seemingly never get completed. Do you deal with any of that? If you do, go to the show notes of this episode and click the Green Skies Analytics link, or go to greenskiesanalytics.com to schedule a call and understand how Green Skies Analytics makes analytics actually work for internal audit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Audit Podcast. Today, we have Mike Valberni on the show. He is the Chief Audit Executive at Regions Financial Corporation. We wanted to understand, Mike, especially with a team as large as yours, what do you actually do? So we literally asked, what did you do yesterday? Kind of a way to get around that, hey, typical day type of question. We also talk about what is typically on the audit committee agenda. Mike, how do you know that when you walk away from those audit committee meetings that they have the information that they need? And with the, again, size of the team there, how do you make sure that you have a great team and that you've created a great place for them to work. With some teams, depending on the size, you could have those one-on-one conversations every week. When you have a very large team, that's logistically impossible. And so we want to understand how you can do that at scale. They also have their own flavor of innovation at Regions. So we talk about what that looks like. And then lastly, we talk about the peer group, his CAE peer group how often they meet, nature of discussions, is that where they get, is there a lot of value within those? Do you recommend them? What other sources do you get your information from? How do you learn to be a better auditor effectively? Here we go. Uh, Mike, you had your audit committee meeting like two days ago, and so very top of mind. Part of the show or the objective of the show this year is to understand the audit committee CAE relationship day-to-day of a CAE, day-to-day of an audit committee member, et cetera. So what was, to the extent you can share, what was on that agenda and what did you, what do you make sure when you walk away from those that you go, the audit committee is informed of this, therefore I know that I did what I need to do. So what we do at the audit committee is we have um, the, the chief risk officer, myself and EY all kind of talk about what what, the, what we see as the risks of the company and our own individual perspective. And so we spend some amount of time in advance making sure that we're either synced up or we know where we're different. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a, in the banking industry, it's kind of a challenging environment. We've had some, we had some bank failures earlier this year. Uh, interest rates are going up, credit's getting more difficult. So those are the, the, the kind of things that we're talking about at the audit committee to the extent that they, you know, impact uh, the controls and the financials and the chief risk officer, you know, shares his perspective. I share mine. EY shares theirs. Um, this time we also had um, the controller and the CFO kind of go through earnings for the quarter. And and those are, you know, that's sort of generally what the, the, the meetings are about. That's sort of in, both environmentally what's happening and then, you know, what kind of specific things are we dealing with um, at uh, at region. 
And I would say that, you know, uh, one of the things that's gotten more prominent, um, both with the regulatory environment and with kind of the uh, EY, is much more focus on technology-related controls. Yeah. Uh, a lot of focus on access, segregation of duties, kind of all things um, technology-related. So when I, when I think about that just from three or four years ago, dramatically different. So the both the kind of the push that we get from regulators to check technology related controls, the push that we get from EY, uh, both are go asking for much more detail. And I think it's broadly that, you know, in a, the, the broader umbrella is that cybersecurity yeah. is a much bigger deal. Um, and as people understand it more and more things happen, the granularity in which people want to have confidence just continues to uh, increase. Yeah, because access controls, SOD, that stuff's been around for since, I'd say, the advent of IT auditing. I mean, that's like the I, common things. I agree. I've been doing audit for many, many years. Uh, those were always topic, but the specificity, the granularity has just really changed, I'd say, fairly dramatically in, in particularly the last two years. Got it. Because of cyber. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. And, and, you know, we have um, board members that are in other industries and they're saying the same thing that, you know, a lot of this is I think the federal government is really trying to protect uh, the the important assets. So people that are in the utility industry, people in oil and gas, all of that are feeling more uh, pressure to make sure that that things are well secured. And that and just wasn't I don't think that was the mindset a decade or more ago. Yeah. You said in that meeting, it's you, EY, and the CRO. How many fist fights have there been between the three of you? None. <laughs> we kind of, we kind of uh, work work out our, uh, our our thoughts and things in in, in advance. We uh, don't always agree, but we find ways to be agreeable. Yeah, I think. Oh, that's a fantastic quote. It would, it would kind of be ridiculous if you all agreed on the same thing. If that was the case, then why have three different opinions? Yep. yep. But you are yeah, agreeable. So we don't we don't exactly agree, but I think we're agreeable. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, so I know one thing that we talked about kind of off air is as a leader, you make sure that you have a great team and a great fl place for them to work. How do you go about doing that? Well, um, I'd say one is I try to listen to um, my, my people and say, you know, what what is it that you think makes it a great place to work? Yeah. And one of the things I think that we, you know, we particularly learned when we went through um uh, the uh, virus, um, COVID, um, and we worked from home for a while. Was um, and we were making, trying to decide what you know how to come back. And so I kind of had I had meetings with uh, all people in the department in small groups, and I asked them how do you uh, how do you feel about it? And we we needed to make a decision about how we were going to come back to the workplace. And I mean, overwhelmingly, people told me that. Um, working from home um was a game changer i mean and that if they're you know they didn't they wouldn't have realized how much it was positively impacted their life and if if we're going to go back from that they would really have to think about you know whether that was the right place for them to work so that was a big factor for me in saying that we needed to have a, a flexible um, work environment and we were we we considered ourselves flexible before covid but flexible was um, if the guys, if somebody's coming to your house, 
that day. You know, you can work from home that morning or yeah. you can work from home that afternoon. Or if you have something at your child's school or something and it's more convenient to just be home, that's all fine. And a lot of people um, kind of worked from home Friday, yeah. but, but not, that was kind of, that's what I would call where we were with Flex then. And where we are with Flex now is, you know, it's, so it was largely four days in, in the office with exceptions. And now I'd say it's almost flipped. It's most people are primarily working from home with some amount of time in the office for particular events. But I learned that that was really important. We do an annual survey and the things that we, um, people want their opinions to count and they want to work on the things that are important to them. So those are the kind of feedback that we get and try to adjust to, to make it a great place to work. Is that how you monitor it? Cause that's what I was curious about. A large team like you have spread out relatively across a region. How do you know what they all want either one-on-one -on -one time or, uh, there's the survey that you lean on a lot. We do, we do lean on the survey a lot because I mean, you know, different people have different points of view, but we've got to try to get what is it, what is the overall. And when you kind of do a consistent survey every year, uh, it helps us get a good sense of what's the, what is the, of the whole feel like. Okay. okay. And then within those large teams, they're usually just due to the number of people. There's a lot of innovation that happens within that different perspectives, backgrounds, et cetera. Um, I don't know, you have kind of your own flavor of innovation that we talked about. Can you expand on that for the folks that obviously weren't on the recording when we talked about that? And then how do you measure the impact of those various innovative initiatives uh, to the degree that you could share that with the listeners? Yeah, so we're, we definitely um, try to in, encourage innovation. And I think we have three main pillars. So we'll, the one that we've invested the, the most in is really around data. Yeah. We have um, a team you know, of 10 or so um, data professionals, you know, some amount of data scientists that really help us with data. And then we've developed a badging program that has four levels. Um, everybody in the department needs to go through the first two levels, which gets you sort of data literate. And then the people that are more proficient, that are really either have a desire or better at it, they go through the, 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 the top two levels. So we've been leaning into uh, the data for several years. And, it, and I'd say, honestly, it's hard to measure, yeah. um, but we have, I can give you lots of anecdotes of where we have gotten much better results and where we've been able to look at hundred percent of the population. So we know we're doing better audit work. When we started it, we thought we would be more efficient. I think now we kind of think we're just going to do better audit. Yeah. Um, the other things that we do is we have our own flavor of agile. So it's not just following kind of all the standards of agile, but um, it, and mainly it is um, using the, the, the regular standups that are part of Agile and keeping um, a lot of the auto work that we had done historically would be there would be a person in charge and they would give out tasks to each individual person and that they would kind of work on those independently. When we do it Agile, it's sort of like that one audit objective. The whole team is working on it at the same time and they're coming back together and talking about it. And um, one of the things that we've also heard the feedback that we've been trying to really lean into is inclusion okay. and people feel included. We almost a third of the people that work in our department have started since COVID and inclusion is harder when you start and work from home. So the, being the being part of those regular group meetings and everybody working on the same thing and hearing is a great learning 
it's a way to get um, into the team. Um, so I, I think that we've done about a third of our work is kind of done that way. I would leave that up to the, the, the teams to decide if they want to do it or not. Um, but where we have done it, I get really good feedback. People really like it. Um, the other thing is leaning into technology and using, um, you know, kind of developing bots and stuff to do individual tasks. And um, that's been, I would say, more hit and miss. We've done, you know, we've had a couple cases where we've done it and it's been really, really impactful. Um, but I think that's been a little bit harder to figure out. So th those are kind of the, I mean, yeah, those are the main things, I think. But in general, kind of um, opening it up and asking people to just be creative and think about how can we do audit work different, better, and just hopefully at some point more efficient. All right. So another uh, area I wanted to talk about there was, again, with the large team, it seems like you have like a pulse on the team as far as morale and uh, job satisfaction through the survey and some one-on-ones and talking to uh, senior management and folks like that. What about the effectiveness, I would say, of the group? Is there, how do you, how do you kind of keep track of that? Do you have, again, KPIs that you're looking at? Do you have everybody's dream that I talk to is, hey, I want to walk in and I want to look at my big, you know, 50 inch TV and I want a dashboard full of blinking lights to go, this is an issue. And then I want to walk in the next day and go, okay, now it's not blinking. We're good to go. How do you keep track of all that? So I, I wish I had a blinking yeah. dashboard. So the, the, one of the things that we've really leaned into is creating our own um, kind of dashboard. We use part as part of one of our data analytics initiatives was kind of our own operations. Um, but there's a lot of data, and right now out uh, it's kind of self-serve, so you've got to kind of dive into it. So for me, I don't generally have the time to to dive into it. There are people that do, and I think we're trying to figure out is um, the 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 uh, the assumption or theory that we built a lot of our data stuff on was kind of pull that people would go and kind of pull what they need. Yep. For me, I need push. I need exceptions pushed to me. I need certain things pushed to me. So I'd say we're kind of in that working through the difference between push and pull. Um, but for for better or for worse, um, uh, I have I have a whole group of regulators that are in my organization, and they're looking at at the work that we do all the time. And so there's really not a month that goes by that they haven't looked at my work and given me feedback on, did I pick the right scope? Am I making the right calls? Did I make the right conclusion? So from that, I, I would love to have the, the, the 50 inch dashboard yeah. and I'm working on it, but that's one way that I get feedback. The other thing is um, we do a tremendous amount of work for Ernst & Young and we package it, we use their tools, we put it in their process, and they kind of re review it. So they're also kind of giving us um, real-time feedback. So I have those two kind of, those sources that are telling me on a regular basis, am I doing the right, you know, my documenting my work, is it um, quality? And um, I meet with executives, and then they, they're kind of, if, if they think of them, if we're pushing on the right issues or not. If we're not, they kind of push back hard and say, you're, you're checking things that aren't important. So we've kind of hit on the employee level. How do you stay up with engagement with them, uh, understanding what's going on relative to their operations as well? We just hit on. But what about you yourself? How do you keep up with everything that's going on? Do you have peer groups that you work in? Do you have publications that you look at? Do you have podcasts that you look to get uh, guidance or knowledge from? Like, how do you keep up with everything 
that's going on that you feel like you need to keep up with? Yeah. So, um, one, yeah, I do. I am, I am part of a, um, a peer group that's sort of the other regional banks. And that's been a, uh, there's about 20 of us in that. So I find that to be an extremely valuable resource. And there's, you know, two or three of the people in that group that I've kind of built relationships over the years with and kind of tap into more regularly, compare notes with, et cetera. So that's, that's extremely valuable. Um, I try to read a lot, a lot of different um, business things, not, not just audit related, but I mean, I get things from the various um, big four, but I also get other business things and try to think about more broadly what, what's going on. Um, you know, more environmentally and, um, and then, then, you know, within my own organization, I make sure I have a a lot of touch points set up. I meet with a lot of people. I have a lot of conversations. So I have them both in my own audit organization, but I meet with a lot of people in management and ask them what's going on. What do they think is important? What trends do they see? So I try to process, um, you know, all of that to make sure I'm staying current and thinking about what's important to work on. I like that you said that you look at not just audit. I try to spread this message for those that have listened. They're probably like, all right, let me go ahead and put this on mute because I've heard this story a hundred times. But asked a, a long time internal audit veteran, is it more important to know audit or to know the business? And immediately without blinking, without hesitation, she said the business. And so it's always good to hear that from other folks echo the same that, yeah, we need to know audit and how to do things, risk assessments, test controls, attributes, reporting, all that kind of great stuff. But understanding the business is where you can really, I feel like, act like that executive, regardless of if you're uh, auditor or or otherwise. But if you know the business and you can help the business in some way, uh, I think that adds, I mean, I realize this is the audit podcast, but I feel like that could add even more is maybe a better way to say it, value from an audit perspective. Yeah, I, I, I would totally concur with that. And I think that um, in the early stages of someone's career as an auditor, um, kind of mastering the audit um, craft is critically important. Mm-hmm. But there's a point of which you've gotten to that level because you've mastered the audit craft, and then you really need to focus on um, more executive trades. What's going on in the business? What are the trends? How am I going to apply this craft that I've learned to be relevant to um, business and executive? I went on a huge rant a couple of weeks ago about exactly that. The more you move up, the more you need to focus, the less on audit, the more on the business. So it's good to hear, especially from a veteran like yourself, say similarly or or speak to it similarly. Um, Again, part of the objective for this year is audit committee, CAE relationship, day-to-day, what happens, all that kind of great stuff. What does your audit committee want from you and how do you deliver it to them, whether that's the medium that you use or, or however that may be, but how do you get them what they want? I'm going to broaden the question. So in, in the time that I've been here, I've had um, three audit committee chairs and the audit committee itself has probably shifted a little bit more than that. Yeah. But the um, the first audit committee chair I had had been a um, an executive at Arthur Anderson, one of the sort of the, the leaders. And he was very focused on everything financial state. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of what he wanted to know. And to that extent, I would say he leaned a little bit more towards listening to EY than even, um, you know, internal audit. Um, the second um, audit committee chair I had um, 
she spent the last part of her career as the head of audit at um, Coca-Cola. So multinational company, all kinds of issues. And she spent the first half of her year of her career as a treasurer of multiple businesses around Coca-Cola. And then they asked her to be the, 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 the global leader for it. So she had a much deeper understanding and appreciation of, of audit. And in some ways, she was more difficult to um, meet her expectations. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, even though she was um, a more challenging person for me to meet, um, I think she did wonders for um, my uh, sort of standing in the in in the company because she asked tough questions and I was able to, you know, kind of meet her needs and she was kind of viewed as somebody that had pretty difficult needs. The um, my current audit committee chair is a CEO of a company, and he he flies much higher and really wants to know, hey, what are the really big issues that yeah. I need to know about and help me make sure that I know those big issues and I'm not getting bogged down in anything else. So in some regards, I would answer that is I think you need to sort of you kind of know your audience and see what do they want from you and then kind of adjust. And I, I feel like those have been fairly different um, needs and desires. And I feel like I've been able to adjust. Them. Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw I kind of smirked when you said know your audience. There was, yeah, for me anyway, there's a handful of things from the four years that I was in college, which was 15 years ago. There's a handful of things that I actually remember. But I had my like English 102 professor, she gave out this one pager and said, everyone hang on to this for the rest of your life or when you write, when you speak, whatever, just this thing, just hang on to it. And I still got it, it's buried in a dresser that's in a basement downstairs, but either way, I still have it. So um, Dr. Degree, I still have that, that was her last name. But anyway, in that, one of the things was know your audience. And I, I've never forgotten that. Know who you're talking to, the perspective they want to see it from. And I think that's super important when talking to an audit committee uh, or anybody else. Because if we have an audit issue, there's the people that are executing on the control. You got to tweak the language for them. There's management. You got to tweak it for them. There's you, Mike. You got to tweak it for you. Audit committee, tweak it for them. CEO, tweak it for them. Or depending on the nature of the issue, <laughs> they, they don't even really know about it. But knowing your audience, I think, is a huge takeaway. There's been a lot that I've heard from you so far. Uh, but I think that's critical in communication. Yeah, I would I would just I'd add one thing. I'd say both knowing and reading. Yeah. So sometimes you can prepare for the audience, but then you look and they're not as engaged as you think, and you've got to got to kind of adjust on the fly for reading what's actually happening in the moment. Yeah. Uh, bonus tip that I didn't apply once: if you ever have a joke, make sure you practice it in front of a group first, or ask your significant other before you do it. Cause if you go out there and say it in front of an audience and it lands flat, there is no way to recover. I did not take that advice. It fell so flat in front of a hundred people. Um, I just went, okay, next slide. And we, we skipped. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the joke is a challenging one. Yeah. It can be for sure. Last question. Um, what do you want to leave the audience with? Like I said, I think there's a lot of good takeaways, actionable takeaways that people can apply. Join uh, those peer groups. Seem like there are a lot of value to those uh, for you folks that aren't in those. Start one, join one, et cetera. But what do you want to leave the audience with? Um, my my overall headline is that I, having spent a long time in audit, I, th I would tell you I think audit is a great place to work. And um, I never thought that like I would spend my career in audit. I went to audit to get like business experience. Yep. And thought that, and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but I thought, oh, I'll do audit for a while because I can see a lot of different things. 
and then I'll, I'll have more information to decide. And I kind of, as I moved up to different things, I would continue to say, okay, is this the right time for me to, you know, do something else? And I had different opportunities, but I kept saying, well, I'm learning a lot here. I feel like I'm adding value, all that. And I kind of moved up and I got to the point that, you know, I realized that I, I think that I, I, I'm not sure if there's another area that for me, I would have as much fun. I would add as much value, learn as much. Um, for me, I really, I, I'm learning is a really important thing to me. And I can't think of a place where you have an opportunity to learn more um, than in, in audit. So I, I would pitch, leave people with, it's absolutely a great career. And it's a great career, whether you spend two years, five years, 10 years, or your whole career. Um, so you know, that, that's, that's my message. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.